Good morning, Anthem Church. My name is Brandon, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege and joy to get to bring God's Word, to unpack this Word with you guys this morning. And so, but before we do that, before we dive in, like, man, I, like my feeble words that I bring to the table are nothing unless the Spirit of God moves in each of our hearts. And so let's just pray that God would bless this time um, of the preaching of His Word and our hearing of it. Pray with me. Father, we come to you this morning just thankful um, that you're a God who is with us and um, who is moving and working all the time in our world around us and in us, God. And I just pray that this morning, through the preaching of your word, God, that you would move and work, that you would bring peace into our lives in this season in which there's often so much activity, so much anxiousness, so much chaos, God. Lord, I pray that you would... Just make yourself great and glorious in our eyes this morning. And Lord, I just pray um, that we would come face to face with Jesus and the beauty of the promises that are in this passage this morning. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. So I have a bit of a tradition <coughs> with my family. Uh, when I go home for holidays, uh, we, my dad and I, my brother, um, and now my brother-in-law, we, we always go and we see whatever kind of big blockbuster movie. It's also you know, typically like a superhero movie or Lord of the Rings, though I realized I thought I went with my younger brother. He's nine years younger than me. He completely didn't see any of those. That was like not his generation, I guess. Uh, anyway, I uh, discovered that and felt really old. Um, but uh, so we've been doing this tradition for a long time, and... Uh, this year we went and saw Napoleon, Ridley Scott's new like war epic Napoleon, and um, and one of the things he says in that movie is that it's like his drive, all right, is peace at any cost. It's what drove him in so many ways. There's a host of things that drove him. Um, movie's got some weird things. I don't uh, it's a a good movie, but there's also some stuff in it, so um, take that or, or leave it. But there's, here's a picture on the screen here, um, a piece of art. I said it was a, a, a picture earlier. Uh, they clearly didn't have cameras back then, but um, it's a, um, a painting of Napoleon called Peace at All Costs, because uh, amongst many things that Napoleon was known for, and, um, he was known for uh, education reform, um, giving rights to a host of people. Um, he's most known for, I think, in many of our minds, for his military campaigns, right? And it's because he was driven um, not just to wage war. He really was trying to establish peace in a European continent that had really just not seen it in centuries. And so he was driven to peace at any cost. And for, look, for all of his military genius and phenomenal victories, historians are all over the map about whether he was like someone to be like revered as a legend or someone that was like a proto-Hitler. So we don't have time to get into that. I've been listening to podcasts. It's interesting stuff. But um, all that to say, like despite his military genius and the way he won some incredible battles, Napoleon's losses in battle rival the most horrific losses in wartime history. It's estimated that 300,000-plus French were killed in action with him, and over 1.5 million were killed in addition to that via disease, wounds. Um, you know, basically, at one point, they'd traveled into Russia all the way to Moscow, only to find that Moscow had been completely evacuated, and they had to trudge all the way back to continental Europe um, during Russian winter, and so they lost thousands upon thousands of people. Um, and in addition... To, to that, the numbers that he lost 
the numbers of people they slayed were millions upon millions of Russian soldiers, other European countries. He truly was an emperor bent on peace at all costs. And well, we're not Napoleon, okay? I don't think many of us are waging bloody wars around here. Um, but we, we all long for peace, and we fight for it just as hard. Though no physical war, our souls are often at war within us. Anxiety is at record highs in our society, and our culture. You may be one of those people that struggles with it in, in an intense way. And despite all the technology and advancements that should make our lives simpler and easier, it seems like all they've done is make us busier, busier, more and more anxious, lacking peace to an even greater degree than ever before. And this anxiety and this lack of peace shows up in a variety of ways, and we pursue it and we fight for it at all costs. It shows up, I mean, for, for some of you, it, it may be that you fight for peace by just trying to avoid the things in your life that produce conflict or a fear of failure or a fear of the unknowns, and so you don't take risk, but, but there's an avoidance, and it leads, maybe it leaves you paralyzed in some cases. Some of us fight for peace by just avoiding the risk. Others of us fight for peace by just lots and lots of activity in our lives, um, and, and we, just, we busy ourselves so that we don't even slow down to think about the things that truly make us anxious, that, that are at war within our souls. And, and so we just keep getting busier and busier, and that, sure, that adds to the anxiety, but it's better than having to deal with what's really going on internally. Some of us uh, try to, um, we, we numb ourselves, we, we pursue a, a variety of things to, to try to um, provide peace for ourselves, whether that's uh, just kind of turning off our brains at the end of the day, binge-watching Netflix, maybe it's drugs or alcohol, whatever it may be, we fight for peace. And still others of us, I believe, um, men, maybe you deal with this and, and deal with it in this way more than the ladies in the room. I, I know it's a, it's a way that I think that when I feel like things are out of control, um, anger and frustration can be a way that my anxiety plays out. I've got four little boys, okay, so um, my house is never or rarely a place of peace unless they're all asleep, okay? Like, they're loud, and they've got, like, more energy than a nuclear reactor, okay? They just, it's a lot of fun, um, but it is wild and crazy, okay? So um, we, uh, (coughs) with that, when they start, like, you know, they are, honestly, they're amazing boys, okay? But you know, like even the, the best of boys misbehaves, all right? Um, or they don't realize how destructive they actually are. Um, and so um, sometimes like when we're trying to get them back into order, trying to get them uh, under control in the, in the moment and they're not listening, I can, uh, I can get, like that can build frustration, right? All right, any parents in here, give me an amen on that one, all right? Um, like build some anger, some frustration. And, and in that moment for me, anxiety starts to build up my lack of peace begins to show forth in that, um, I don't know if you've noticed, but I have a really loud voice. Like, it, it doesn't take much for me to get really loud. It just runs in my family, okay? So my dad was really loud. My grandpa, like, they just have the deep, powerful voice. And so um, in my anger, sometimes I can just use that to try to control them, to regain peace in my house, rather than being gentle and coming alongside them um, as in my best moments I do. Um, but I don't always have all best moments, right? Um, maybe you can relate. And so sometimes 
men, I think we especially can try to deal with anxiety by letting our anger kind of lead us to aggression, right? Whether it's loudness or whether it's trying to control people by sheer force of personality or will or whatever it may be, we try to control. But it's because we long for peace. See, we're driven by peace just as much as Napoleon. It just plays itself out in a different kind of way. He was bent on peace at all costs. And here's the thing, though. The beauty of this passage is it also shows us that our God is bent on peace at all costs. But he's not bent on peace at all costs for us. It's not at our expense. Instead, it's at his own expense, the cost of his own son. This is the good news of Christmas, is that God is so bent on reestablishing peace with you and with me that he would send his only son to come into this world, to experience the suffering and the pain that this world is filled with, to experience the lack of peace that this world provides. He sent his son to experience all of that, to go to a cross and die so that you and I could live and to have peace with him again. That's the hope of Christmas, is that God was beginning something there that he had started long ago, but doing it in this world in the here and now, bringing peace for you and for me. And I'm not talking about some sentimental, syrupy kind of peace like on the Hallmark Channel that we see in all those Christmas movies this time of year, right? I know, like, my wife loves those movies, okay? We watched one over the the Thanksgiving break, and I just... uh, I just about had to leave the room. I'm sorry. Like, it just is like the syrupy sentimentality just got a little overwhelming. Um, and, um, but I, yeah, anyway. Um, and Christmas is filled with those kinds of things, right? Like, in, in many ways, because um, our world does not know a deeper peace. Our world has no way to establish a peace that goes beyond the syrupy and the sentimental. But God wants to establish a peace in you and in me that is much greater than that. A peace that produces courage in you when it seems like fear should overwhelm you. The courage to take risk, to to have that hard conversation, to step out in faith when God calls you to something like crazy in the eyes of the world. And you you can have that kind of courage because your peace goes beyond your circumstances when it's rooted in the Lord. God wants you to have a peace that produces gentleness, not anger that tries to control your situation via power and sheer force of will, but rather a peace that that flows from a confidence that God holds the future that you don't have to. He offers a peace that produces forgiveness in our lives because we don't have to try to self-protect or to avenge ourselves or to provide justice for ourselves, but rather we can forgive others because we know that he will ultimately bring justice and peace to the world. And he's forgiven us so much himself. I'm talking about a peace that produces patience in the midst of suffering. A patience that allows us to, to endure suffering with joy because we know that God is working all things for our good in the end. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And he holds the future. And he's with us. Like that's the kind of peace that God's offering. He's offering a peace that produces generosity, where we don't have to hold tightly to our things, to our finances, to, to our provision that we provide for ourselves, because we know it's actually not us in the end that provides, but it's God. 
and that he's with us and he will provide everything that we need. See, God wants to provide you a peace that goes beyond your circumstances and goes beyond the syrupy, sweet sentimentality that Hallmark Christmas movies provide. And Mary finds this peace in this passage. So much so that she, she ends with one of the most incredible statements of faith ever recorded. Verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Man, that is incredible faith to be able to say that. We'll talk about more why in, in a little bit, but, she, but here's the reality. Like Mary doesn't start the passage there. As we journey through this passage, like, like Mary's not there at the beginning. She's not you know, captivated by this peace. And so how does, she, how does she get there? Well, she finds peace through God's promises. And we can find peace through God's promises too. In fact, that, that's the big idea of the whole message today, is that we can find peace through God's promises. And so we're going to look at two big promises that God makes to Mary here, and then he makes to you and me as well. We're going to see in the midst of those promises being made, Mary's initial responses to him that are, that are not peace-filled. But then how, as the angel Gabriel begins to unpack further those promises, that her fears are stilled and peace overcomes her. So much so that she says, be, let it be to me according to your word. And so we're going to unpack how she ultimately finds that peace and how we can as well. So if you will, let's look at the first couple of verses here. Just set a little bit of context as Luke is setting up this story. He says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Last week when we started Advent, Gabriel shows up bringing a message that restores hope in God's people, restores hope in two particular people named Zachariah and Elizabeth. See, the, the people of God coming up to this time for the past three to four hundred years, they had endured silence from the Lord. The promises of God felt far off and hope felt like it was fading. And Zachariah and Elizabeth especially were a perfect picture of that hopelessness. Imagine that's why God chose them. So years of infertility and unanswered prayers had left them with fading hope. And so Gabriel shows up, the angel Gabriel, right? this imposing, awe-inspiring figure Gabriel shows up and he brings a message of hope that they would have a son. Though it seemed utterly impossible, they would have a son. God promised it. And that son would reinvigorate the people of God with hope in his promises. But this baby in the first story we heard last week wasn't the hope himself, but he was the guy who was going to point toward the answer to all of God's promises, to all of God's people's prayers. And so that's where we step into this story. And this week, though, we find Gabriel again, bringing an even greater message and an even greater miracle that God's promises are finally happening. Peace is coming. The first two verses draw our attention to another time in Israel's history where hope was lacking and peace seemed to be impossible. Two references here in, in 
just verse 27. It says that the angel Gabriel came to a virgin, all right, who was betrothed to a man of the house of David, and it emphasizes again the virgin's name was Mary. It draws us back to Isaiah chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. The promise then was that God would be with his people, and it was also pointing forward to this day in Mary's time when God would provide the Savior of the world, the one who would allow God's presence to be back with his people. And when, so when Luke's setting this context, he's alerting the readers to something really important. Now, God, now, the people reading it back in Luke's day would have immediately thought of that passage in, in Isaiah. All right? We often don't know our Old Testament as well as they did, all right? but, but they would, those triggers, House of David, Virgin, multiple times, would have alerted them that if you thought the last story of hope about John and, and Zachariah and Elizabeth was incredible, this story is going to be even better. Because what he's saying, he's highlighting, he's alerting us to the fact that an even greater miracle is happening. Not just an infertile birth, but a virgin birth. An even greater promise is going to be fulfilled. The peace of God is coming. Why? Because God himself is showing up. Just like he said he was. So that's a little bit of context. If you thought last week's story of hope was great, this week's story of peace is even greater. Promise number one as to why we know that's true. First off, promise number one that brings us peace is God's presence. Verse 28, the angel starts out this way. He came up to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Lord is with you. The presence of God is an incredible promise. We go to a ton of different verses, but Psalm 1611 says this, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At, right, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God's presence is where joy, peace, healing, and every truly good gift resides. God's presence brings peace to God's people. Over and over again, we see that throughout the storyline of Scripture. In the garden, in the very beginning, God's peace and his gracious presence is with humanity. It's good. Prior to sin entering into the world, we'll talk about that in a minute and how that messes everything up. But, but the reality is, in the garden, in the beginning, God was present with his people and there was peace. There was peace between them and God. They weren't hiding from God. They didn't have to run from him. They didn't have to worry about judgment from him. But instead, they lived in peace and relationship with him. And the garden flourished. All right? They lived in peace with the world around them. The, the creation was flourishing. They also lived in, in marital peace. Like, there were no marriage fights. All right? Like, they lived in utter and complete peace because they were in the presence of God. God walked with them in the garden. And we also see elsewhere in Scripture, we go through a, a bunch of different places, but in the Exodus, when God's people are leaving Egypt, he goes with them. 
And what we see is that, that he, he makes his presence known through a, a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And he goes with them, and he provides protection from the Egyptians. He provides light for them as they journey through the night. He provides for them manna and, um, and, and meat. The reality is, is the presence of God provided them peace, even through years in the wilderness. The presence of God brings peace to God's people. This idea is central to the story of Scripture. And we see it also played out in a command that's repeated over and over again. One of the more common commands in Scripture is be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. But then the rest of that gives us the why. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid for the Lord your God is with you. Why can you have peace? Why do you not have to fear with everything that happens in this world, with all the tragedies, with all the wars, with all the, 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 the difficulties in our jobs and our school and all our families? Like, why can we have peace? Why can we be strong and courageous? Because God is with you. But if God's presence is such a good promise, then why in the world does Mary respond the way she does? Read, read verse 29 with me. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She was greatly troubled. If God's presence is all it's cracked up to be, like I've tried to, to encourage you with just the past few moments, then why in the world is she greatly troubled? Try to fix this. I'm following some instructions in the back here, guys. Thanks. All right. There we go. Maybe we got it. All right. Good to go. So try to imagine being in Mary's shoes for a moment. Most of us are pretty dumbfounded just thinking about the idea of, like, meeting our hero or celebrity crush or whatever it may be. Like, I mean, <clears throat> so for instance, when I was 12 years old, I was diagnosed with cancer, all right? I'm not going to get into that story now, um, but um, I got a Make-A-Wish as a result of that, and my Make-A-Wish um, was not Disney World or something like that, but I loved basketball at the time, and so my Make-A-Wish was to meet Shaquille O'Neal, all right? Biggest, most dominant player, like even my son today, all right? Loves Shaquille O'Neal because he's seen the, the highlights where Shaquille O'Neal dunks and the whole backboard breaks, right? Like he is intimidating, formidable figure, all right, and so I got to, they flew us out to L.A. We went down into the bottom of the Staples Center, got to watch a game afterwards, but um, my dad and I got to go back into this room, and I had my basketball, and I had my Lakers jersey, um, and my dad had our camera, and I was looking forward to this moment for a long time, and I had all these questions I was going to ask him about, about basketball and these types of things, and um, I get in there, and then in steps Shaquille O'Neal, and it's like, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> and to top it all off, like, so my dad takes this picture, all right, of me, and um, he's got this, like, jean outfit, like, full-on jean outfit from top to bottom. Uh, who knows how much it costs, um, but it kind of looked ridiculous, but whatever. Um, so, but, like, it made it look like in the picture, the way it was made, that, like, I did barely even came up to his knees, okay, like, because of the way it looked. And so in this picture, I look, like, super tiny. Granted, Shaq's massive, and I was a scrawny 13-year-old boy, but... Um, it just it looked hilarious. So that's not the point, though. In, in this, Shaq was massive. And I just become, like, dumbfounded in that moment. Like, kind of overwhelmed by 
like his greatness and his uh, just height and all that is his personality. Um, although he wasn't like just like the, I mean, Shaq is ridiculous on TV these days, um, and it's awesome. But um, he just kind of walked in and was like, "Hey," his deep voice. Um, but it intimidated me. And as a kid, like I just kind of stood there dumbfounded. And I know, like. I'm not the only one that that happens to, right? Like, it, I mean, just if, if T. Swift passed in here this morning and said hi, like more than half of this room at least, probably more than you're willing to admit, uh, of this room would be shocked into silence and you would be trying to figure out like, what, like, why did she say hi to me? Like, what should I say in response? And then by the time you figure out something to say, she'd be gone, right? Like, that's just what would happen. Is that what's happening with Mary? Is she just like overwhelmed by the angel and that's all there is? Like, oh, the angel's really great, he's big, probably makes Shaq look little, right? No, actually, I believe there's something deeper going on here. Like, it says she was greatly troubled. She wasn't just overwhelmed by the greatness of the angel. Yes, typically people respond with kind of this overwhelming shock to angels in Scripture, but, but he says, the Lord is with you. And Mary's response is one of trouble. Why would that be? Because while the, God's presence is the source of any blessing you can possibly imagine, it's also the source of his justice. Mary very likely would have been fearful and trying to figure out, like, fearful of judgment from the Lord. Trying to figure out, like, like is this my moment? And Mary would have been very familiar with the ways that, that God shows up to bring justice in the lives of his people. Because just like he was present with his people in the garden, when they sinned, he kicked them out and brought curses upon them that we still fulfill the ramifications of today. Because for a holy God to be in the presence of sin, like bring, like justice must be served. Thankfully, he's patient with us, and his grace is abundant, and we'll talk more about that in a moment, but she was right to be fearful of judgment there. The people in Exodus, as God's presence was with them, just as much as it blessed them when they sinned and they rebelled against God or they lacked faith, they they faced intense judgment and people died. People died because they rebelled. And so Mary knows, like all of us, that we deserve God's just punishment for our sin. The ways we've rebelled against God. The ways we've tried to do life our own way rather than following his way. And so in that moment, she's troubled because she's trying to figure out, like, is this a, a good kind of God's presence? Or is this, like, do I need to be fearful that, like, that God is bringing justice on, my, on me in this moment? Because that's just as possible. But Gabriel's reassurance to her in verse 30 is this, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. It's the second time that word's popped up. You'd think she would have heard it the first time, but if you're overwhelmed by an angel, you might... Not here at all either. But that word favor in the original language is, is the same word that's translated as grace. And what we see here is that God's just presence isn't showing up, but his gracious presence is. The angel brings peace to Mary by making clear that God has chosen Mary by his grace. Not because she's done anything to earn it, but because of his incredible love towards her, and his incredible love that he has towards all of us as well. See, we can find peace in God's presence too, not because we deserve it, 
but because God has chosen us in his grace to pour out his love upon us. See, a lot of people think Christianity is a religion of of trying to earn our way back to God, earn our way back into God's presence, right? To earn our way back into relationship with him. They think it's a list of rules that you got to follow. And if you can get yourself to be good enough, if you can, if you can clean yourself up enough, that you can give, you know, give yourself away enough, serve others, you know, take care of the poor, you can do all these good things, attend church, like, you know, whatever it may be, then, then you could be back in relationship with God. But that's the complete opposite message of Christianity. The, the hope of Christmas, the message of Christianity, the good news of the gospel, and the good news of the angel to Mary right here is that it's God's grace that he wants to pour out upon you and upon me. That all of us can have peace in his presence if we stop trying to get ourselves together and we just trust in his grace that he pours out upon us in the promised one that the angel's about to talk about. All right, it's grace that's, that's not just um, grace without a cost. It costs Jesus everything. That's the only reason it costs us nothing. It costs Jesus everything. And so peace is possible in God's presence because of his, it's his gracious presence. And when we're in Jesus, just like Jesus heard when he was baptized, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, we can hear that. We can have this same kind of promise spoken over us that we are God's favored ones when we're in Christ. Not because we've earned it, but because he did. And so we can have peace in God's presence, and we can have peace in his presence because of the second promise of his plan. His plan to bring the promised one, verses 33 to 31, we we see the second promise teased out. What does this plan look like? How is God going to make his presence gracious towards the world, peace-giving towards all of us? Well, one, verse 31, says, that he's sending one that is going to bring about all of his promises. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive and in your womb bear a son, and he sh- you shall call his name Jesus. The promised one will bring salvation. That name Jesus there means God saves. God saves. And so he's the angel is hitting home to Mary that, hey, this plan is, is where salvation comes to God's people once and for all. And it comes through this child you're going to have. That's a little overwhelming, right? <laughs> Sitting in Mary's shoes. You're going to bring the Savior of the world. But then he goes on. That's not it. Not only will this promised one bring salvation as a part of God's plan, but in verse 32 we read this. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Verse 32, what we see is that God's plan is not only that he will bring salvation, that will just save us from our sins so that we won't receive punishment, but also that he'll bring us into relationship with God. It says he will be called the Son of the Most High. This isn't just some majestic title. It's indicating the closeness of this child's relationship with God the Father. It's Son of the Most High points us to the fact that this is not just some other messenger. This is not just some other prophet that God is sending into the world to point forward to hope. But rather, this is the one who's dwelled with God because he is God himself. And he is 
Like he's dwelled with God the Father for all of eternity because he is God the Son. And so God's plan is to bring salvation through this promised one, to bring us back into a peaceful relationship with God. And then in verse 33, we read this. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. He will bring an everlasting kingdom. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. A kingdom that, that, that enemies cannot overcome. The promises of peace will finally be secure because death, sin, Satan, all of God's enemies will be vanquished. How are they vanquished? By Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus will rule for all of eternity. God's plan brings peace because it brings salvation from our sins, relationship with God, and an eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken that you are invited to step into and you are a citizen of when you turn and trust in Jesus. Man, that's good news. That plan is amazing. Amazing news for us that should cultivate peace within us, even in the midst of a world that is shaken all the time. But again, like Mary's response is really interesting here. Like we should hear that and we should just stop. Like I should stop preaching and we should just start worshiping again because that's an incredible, amazing news kind of plan. But Mary responds not with rejoicing, but like with the question of just like, well, how? Like, how is that going to happen? She says in verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? All right, like, I believe Mary's response here is more than just a question of like mechanics, okay? Um, uh, like, even with an overwhelming angel in front of her, you would think like her asking how, like, why is she asking how? Clearly, like, God is up to something powerful, and he's, like, got this angelic being in front of you. Why are you doubting how? Well, I believe it's, she's not just asking about mechanics, like, how is God going to do this? But I think the question is from her processing, like, all of the possibilities that go with it. A fear of failure, even. Fear of the unknowns. Of wondering and overwhelmed that, like, she's a part of this plan. Could she mess it up? Like she's just, it's more of like a question of how in the world is this going to possibly come about? Like, I mean, she's like, I, like, I'm a virgin. Like, I'm not even doing what's required to have a child. Okay, like Zachariah and Elizabeth, like, they were infertile, yes, but like, you know, like, it can happen, right? But like, she's confused. Like, no one had ever had a child this way. So what is happening? She's overwhelmed in that moment. What if she messes it up? And surely you can relate to that. And when God shows us his plan, when God reveals to you your calling in life and how he wants to use you, and maybe it's a moment or maybe it's over the extended period of your life, like surely you can relate. Because see, whether it's God's purposes or ours, our peace is often threatened by the unknowns, the possibilities of failure, the weight of our calling. And whether you know it or not, God has a purpose for every single one of you. A purpose for his glory, a purpose for your good, and a purpose for the good of others. And while it's amazing to get to be a part of God's plan, like Mary, when we recognize that he has a plan and a purpose for us, I think we're often tempted to be fearful or anxious or doubtful, like Mary was in this moment. Like, how could this be? Me? Like, am I going to mess it up? What's going to happen here? 
And Gabriel's reassurance is that God's plan is sure. God's plan is sure. Verse 35, the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is her, the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing. Did you hear that? Nothing. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. The angel brings peace to Mary in the midst of her fears. Because the plan doesn't depend on Mary. It depends wholly and entirely upon the power of God. So her role in this, Mary's role in this, wasn't to like make it happen by her sheer might and her ingenuity and her ability to plan and tease a plan out, but rather to trust him and to simply take the next faithful step in dependence upon him, in radical dependence upon his presence and his power, not in her own power. And that's how we need to respond. Like That's where peace is found for us as well, in the sure plan of God. That it, when he calls you to something, it, like it's not about how great you are, but it's about how great and amazing he is and how great and amazing the things he does is. And so our role isn't to make it all happen. Yes, like we're responsible, we're called to take action, we're called to take steps, but it's primarily to trust him and to depend on him with every step we take. And that's just what Mary does. Because what we see in her final response is not fear. It's not fear in the traditional sense, but it's resolve this time. It's a resolve to fear of the Lord. Verse 38. And behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This is an incredible response considering what her situation would be. For a woman to get pregnant, like, out of, she's betrothed but not yet fully married, they're, they're, like, and everyone knows this. And so for her to get pregnant in that situation was going to put her in a terrible situation culturally. In fact, like we read in the other Gospels that like Joseph was trying to wrestle with how to, how to divorce her in a way that, that would not like put her in a, an utterly terrible situation. But he was planning on that. Like an angel had to be sent to Joseph to say, hey, no, 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 this is God's plan. Because everyone would have assumed that she was an adulteress, that she was committed infidelity to her betrothed one. But in the midst of all that, knowing all the possibilities of what would come and the pain of childbirth and those kinds of things too, Mary found a depth of peace that we all long for. She's found peace in the promises of God's gracious presence and his plan. She understands what Paul would later write in Romans 8.28, that for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, all, he works all things together for our good. That doesn't mean you're going to understand how it's working for your good in every moment. It doesn't mean you're going to understand this side of heaven, how those things are working out your good. But you can trust that his plan is for your good. In any and every circumstance, we can enjoy the same kind of peace. But how do we do it? Like, like how practically 
Do we take hold of those promises? How practically do we enjoy God's gracious presence and do we do we take part in God's sure plan in our lives so that we can enjoy that peace like Mary did through God's promises? Well, it's the, it's, I would argue it's really the theme of this whole sermon series. It's prepare him room. Prepare Jesus room. That we've got, like, if we're going to, to take hold of those promises and we're going to enjoy the peace of God, we've got to intentionally and with much effort because the world is going against us in this. We must intentionally prepare room to actually experience the peace that Jesus offers to us. Preparing him room must, means that we've got to intentionally create space in our lives for God to show up. And that's really hard this time of year, right? Many of you have finals next week, or the next week, I don't know exactly when it is, like the next couple weeks, right? It's all coming down right now. And it seems like you don't have time for any of this. Like, how are you going to prepare room to meet with Jesus and experience this peace? Because finals week is nothing if not lacking peace, right? For others of you, you've got, you know, kids' Christmas parties. You've got work Christmas parties. You've got gifts to buy. You've got family to see. You've got and, and all the craziness that goes along with that, right? Like, this time of year is often not a peace-giving time of year. So how do we prepare him room? It means we've got to be intentional to create space for God to show up, to enjoy his presence and his peace, and to spread his peace to others. And so I've got two challenges for you today. All right, two challenges. Prepare him room in your home and prepare him room in your community. All right, let's start with prepare him room in your home. Look, Advent is a great time of year to start a personal or family devotional. All right, if you're going to enjoy God's peace like rest in his presence, then you're going to have to intentionally use this time of Advent to prepare room in your home. It's got to start personally before you can think about how do you do that in your community. All right? So, so here's the challenge. If you don't have a, a personal devotional life, um, a personal time each day that you spend with God, then let Advent be the time that you start that, because there's a ton of great resources out there. I'd be glad to recommend one. Um, we can maybe we've sent one out in the emails. Um, I'm not 100 sure, but we, but there are a lot of great ones out there. Ask one of your leaders here; be glad to point you to one. I I've started this habit, um, and and so maybe you'd want to join um, in with me on this. But each year, um, I I try to read a book that reflects on the incarnation. Um, it's something we often don't think about too much, but the, the humanity of Jesus. We often think about the, the powerful miracles he does and all of that kind of stuff, um, but uh, you know, something other than just a, a, a devotional is, is I try to grab a book like that. And so there's a book by um, one of the uh, early church fathers named Athanasius called simply On the Incarnation. It's a short book. It's a little dense, actually, uh, even though it's short, um, but it's good. And then uh, maybe the best one I've ever read, and I have, it's actually be, uh, I think my third year reading through it again, um, is The Man Christ Jesus by Bruce Ware. It's phenomenal. You talk about like looking at the humanity of Christ and how he walked in the peace of God through the power of the Spirit. Like, in fact, it's one of the best books I've ever read on walking in the Spirit as well. And so I highly recommend it, um, The Man Christ Jesus by Bruce Ware. Now, if you have a family <coughs> at home with kids or, or whatever it may be, I want to just make a few recommendations. Like, we do all kinds of things, okay? Like, we decorated for Christmas two weeks before Thanksgiving. We're that family, okay? Um, so I'm not going to run through everything we do. Um, but there are traditional things that you can do, like an Advent wreath, okay? So you can get a little bit of garland, get a few candles, 
and enlighten them. And there's some good guides online through the Gospel Coalition and Desiring God and elsewhere. Um, but, but each candle represents hope, peace, love, and joy. And then the center candle is Christ, and you light that one on Christmas morning. And so you can, along with our church, be working through Advent each week as we move towards Christmas. Um, you could reread with your kids the passage that was preached that day and light that candle. Um, so we do that every Sunday. Um, that's our tradition. Uh, we also um, uh, do something that's a little less traditional, but uh, just parents would recommend this. It's called Advent Blocks. Um, and you find that there's apparently a lot of Advent Blocks. I got this feedback after uh, the first sermon. Um, Advent Blocks, though, the, the one we use is on Lifeway's website. Um, and it has a devotional that goes with it, but it's a countdown, um, 25 uh, little blocks. And you turn one each day, and it turns to a picture that represents a story in the devotional that takes you through the entirety of the Old Testament and how all of them point forward to Jesus, all right? And at the end of every one, it's got this little, um, little prayer, a little saying at the end, says, God couldn't remain. Sin drove him away. But God's people began to hope and to pray. God, will you come back to stay? And my kids have memorized that by now. And every year, like, I don't even have to say it. Once I get to the end of the story, they can just rattle it off. And, and so it just reminds us what this is all about. It's about spending time in the presence of God. So you can do uh, intentional things like that. You can also redeem some of the things happening in our world that the world may not be intentionally using to point to Jesus, but Christmas lights as you drive around town. All right, it may just seem like a fun, festive things to do, but who is Jesus? He's the light of the world. And so use those Christmas lights to, yes, have fun, just enjoy Christmas, all right, but also to talk with your kids about like, hey, why, why do we hang Christmas lights? Like, so-and-so down the street may not hang it for this reason, but we do because Jesus is the light of the world. And he came into the world this time of year in the midst of darkness to bring light and hope. So there's just a few ways to, to prepare him room in your home. You've got to be intentional about that or it won't happen. Lastly, prepare him room in your community. See, Advent is a great time to take part <coughs> in God's plan. To take his light to the nations to spread his peace to others. And so I just encourage you to think about whether it's having your own Christmas party and inviting over your neighbors um, or your, your dorm room mates or whatever it may be. Um, find a way. Look for opportunities around you because there's a lot this time of year. Like people love celebrating the holidays. Uh, so, so come up with one opportunity that you can invite friends, family, coworkers into to, to just Enjoy the holidays together, but then share briefly about why you celebrate Christmas. You can ask them, like, hey, wh like, wh what do you celebrate this time of year? And then talk about why you celebrate Christmas. And so prepare him room in your home and in your community so that you might enjoy the peace of God yourself and spread the peace of God to others. And as we wrap up this morning... It wasn't too long ago that we were walking through the, the first couple chapters of the book of Revelation where it says at the end in chapter 3 that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Here's a, a picture on the screen here of that, of an artist's rendering of that back in the Middle Ages. It's the idea that we in our lives get so busy, we get things so full and so active we lose sight of our first love, and slowly but surely, like, Jesus is on the outside looking in. Like, he didn't go anywhere, but, like, we kind of slowly pushed him out, intentionally or unintentionally. 
So I draw our minds back to this because Jesus does stand at the door and knock for us that know him to bring him back to the table with us. How will you prepare him room to enter back in to your home and to your community this Christmas so that you might enjoy the peace of God and you might spread the peace of God to others? Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you this morning just grateful for your word and the promise of your peace, God. And we are so, so grateful. And your good news is so incredible. And Lord, we thank you for what Christmas and this season can be for us. We pray that you would help us to intentionally prepare room for you in our lives, that we might be a people of peace, that enjoy your peace, that spread your peace, that, that, that aren't filled with anxiousness, that the world might notice that about Anthem Church, so they might ask, what's different about us? Not to build us up, but so that you might get the glory, so that we could point to you and the peace that only you can provide. God, help us to cling to your promises this season, the promise of your gracious presence and the promise of your sure plan for us in Jesus. God, may we be a people of peace. Thank you for accomplishing all that through Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.